Blog Talk Radio. Quote, 
While it is no secret that I'm a survivor of clergy abuse, it is the journey, I'm sorry, it is the journey of integration, transformation, and application that is most telling about my accomplishments and the life that I celebrate. Visit his website, which is www.jaimeromo.org. That's Jaime Romo, J-A-I-M-E-R-O-M-O dot org. And with that, I'll say hi, Jaime. Are you there? Hello, back. I'm back. I was on mute. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And and did you have a a topic in mind for tonight? You know, I I had one earlier. I was thinking, uh, but now as I sit here, um, I don't really. I'm. I think, you know, there's this quote that I'm I'm thinking of that relates to how we heal rather than, you know, the problem with others. The the quote, so if I can just give the quote and and talk about, I think, a a healing journey, um, Mm -hmm. then maybe that could open up into a topic, but otherwise I'm very open. Um, And we know that... Okay, great. Thanks. Well, we know that um, there's all kinds of widespread trauma and abuse. And right now I happen to be listening to a couple of of audiobooks. One is called The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate. And uh, it's really accessible. You know, he talks a lot about the strong correlation between all kinds of unresolved uh, childhood abuse and trauma um, and then how people cope with that and some of those coping behaviors then become you know addictions some become uh, kind of physical disabilities or, or even diseases and um, another book is called uh, what happened to you it's uh, by dr. Bruce Perry who is another you know real kind of pioneer in the world of trauma and how it affects the brain and how we're wired in certain ways that um, when we are overwhelmed, that we can shut down or we can be hyper, you know, reactive. And yes, it's, it's a conversation with him and Oprah. They're both really accessible. And and so, you know, the the question that they both obviously you know raise is, you know, of course it's not saying what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Um, and so the the typical model of addressing people who have the symptoms of, of unresolved trauma is to, you know, treat the symptom, and treat the anger by anger management or treat by a pill if the person can't sleep or if the person's got, you know, certain pain, not that you know, pain meds are bad, but just without asking, you know, and, and they both bring up, you know, Bormate in particular, you know, how many of you who have gone to the doctors with whatever ailments have ever had a doctor ask, you know, you know, tell me, have you ever had any, you know, traumatic experiences in your life or what's happened to you? Um, because there's such a strong correlation. So the quote is, it's not that they don't see the solution. It's that they don't see the problem. 
And mm-hmm. so I think of as we can look at you know others' behaviors or maybe our our own experiences of you know well the way we should fix that is for people to you know deal better with conflicts or people should manage themselves you know and, and or they should trust more or you know not let, take things personally all kinds of yeah there's solutions maybe but they don't really understand the what's behind them. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a starting point. And, and so just mentioning those two things, uh, conflict and trust, I think those are foundational parts of how we can be healthy and happy is if we can trust ourselves, if we can trust others, if we can deal with conflict in a, in a healthy way, have good boundaries. Um, and we know, that, and you know, perhaps that can be some of the discussion of how these uh, different ex- uh, abuse or neglect or you know, traumas that, that we've experienced can make it really hard to trust, to make it really hard to get through conflicts. Um, so maybe that's a bit of a of a topic of. You know, how have we seen the links between our own experiences and how we've been able to trust or what we've done uh, to gain that ability you know, to trust in a healthy way? Or similarly, you know, how have those experiences influenced how we deal with conflict and how have we mm-hmm. learned then to counter that and, and actually work through challenges? All right, that sounds like a wonderful topic. I've already got several ideas that I want to share. But before I do that, I want to say that we have quite a few callers on the line tonight. And Victoria is also here helping us. Um, I see Philip is here. Philip, would you like to say anything or ask a question of Jaime? Um, Do you do any volunteer work in that area? Do... Say, say again about volunteer work. Do you do any volunteer work? Um, well, in that I'm, I'm, uh, I support with some nonprofits um, that are working to have kind of more trauma-sensitive or trauma-responsive you know, or more effective programs, working with uh, either school-age kids or, in another case, um, you know, just a, a community that... that needs a lot of resources and so those are yeah those are definitely you know volunteer hours and you know, sharing resources okay thank you thank you Philip and how about Victoria would you like to ask or say anything yeah I wanted to mention you you mentioned that the doctor never really asks um, you know if you've been a survivor and and, you know, I was I was one all the time when I was a teenager, the gynecologist. You know, I was had a lot of a lot of issues, and and when I had my first baby, I was freaking out. I mean, literally tied me down to the table to deliver my baby, which is pretty crazy. But after mm. I got into therapy and stuff, and you know, I ended up in the psych ward at 21 after I escaped from my biological father. Um, I went back to him again, and I, and I told him you know, that I had been a victim of uh, sexual abuse by my biological father. And he says, um, I figured that, you know, I wondered if something was 
you know, like that mm-hmm. or whatever. Maybe he said that he, he, you know, was pretty sure it was. But um, after that, I felt more comfortable with saying, you know, tell me what you're going to do before you do it. And mm-hmm. Then I was less traumatized afterwards, you know, and sometimes I'd be having mm-hmm. a procedure. I'd ask a friend to go with me, you know, because I was, yeah. um, you know, having like disassociation and stuff after, during and after I got out of the doctor's office. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we just, you know, we have to ask for help and stuff. If we are dealing with these kinds of things and, you know, the reactions and stuff like, you know, I didn't really trust people, but, but I wanted so bad to trust people that I think I went in the other direction. <laughs> I kind of, you know, yeah, went against what I felt. I guess I felt like, you know, that, you know, like the red flags or whatever. I just kind of ignore it and, and tell myself it wasn't really happening because I was just imagining things, you know, and I was afraid of my mm-hmm. biological father because I had developed MPD. I, I couldn't put a finger on why I was afraid of him. So I mm-hmm. just would tell myself, well, what's wrong with you? You know, mm-hmm. and so going back to that normal thing, you know, so now I tell people, the only thing that's normal is a setting on the washing machine. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the washing machine is normal. That's it. And, and I did a, a presentation one time to social workers, and I swear to God they weren't paying any attention. They weren't taking notes. They, you know, whatever. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they say that, and they all leaned over and took a, took a note on that. <laughs> well, at least they got their attention come up, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. but, yeah, it's really interesting, uh, the behavior and all that, and, um, just just looking at what you know, what don't I like about my behavior, or you know, am I getting angry all the time, or you know, am I distancing myself from people, and, and work on it, you know, and it's small steps taking risks, and that doesn't happen overnight. People, I think, mm-hmm. need to be more gentle with themselves. That's, that's a big point to try to make people be gentle with yourself. You know, this is. Not easy stuff. It's like, you know, unknown territory to most of us. So thank you for being here. We'll let someone else comment or ask a question. Thank you. Hmm. Thanks, Victoria. Well, this is Annie, and I'll share share what I have on, on these issues. How has abuse affected me when it comes to conflict? I I avoid it at all costs. I walk away from it. I completely avoid conflict because I don't know how to stand up for myself, although I'm much better now, I have to say. But for many years, you could just steamroll right over me. I never stood up Mm -hmm. for myself because conflict was such a big part of my childhood, and I was always smashed down. You know, you weren't allowed to cry. You weren't allowed to react to the mm-hmm. yelling and everything. And and I don't seek conflict. I used mm-hmm. to with a husband that I had because that was the only attention I could get, which is mm-hmm. really sad. But I'm not married anymore, and so um, I do not seek conflict at all. As far as trust goes, I had a weird reaction to being abused, and that is that I just let everyone into my life, complete trust, everyone is wonderful and perfect, and I love them, and no one will ever hurt me. I've always mm. had that attitude, but I've been hurt many times, because mm-hmm. not everybody is is nice to other people, mm-hmm. you know? And 
And so instead of the inability to trust, I had an overabundance of, I think in a way I was opening myself up to more abuse. It was like, just Mm. come and get me because I've already been abused, so I'm the victim, so just just abuse me more. Yeah. And that's all I have. Wow. That's a lot. Both of you, actually, you know, all three of you brought up so much. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just... One of the things I really recommend these these uh, books, um, the myth of normal and what happened to you. Um, you know, so Bruce Perry talks about the brain. Right, he studies uh, the brain and the neurobiology, and he talks about um, you know the the lizard part of the brain is what keeps our systems working. You know, our breathing and our digestion and the, you know, everything, we don't think about it. And that's when when we are threatened, when we're not safe, that then kind of overrides the the nice, rational, you know, responsive kind of part of our brain. And so you described um, avoiding, you know, so fight, flight, um, that avoiding stuff, running away or avoiding uh something that feels unsafe, you know, and on the other hand, you know, I know for me, it's been more of uh, somehow taking on authority or taking on someone who seems to be misusing authority and fighting, you know, and, and I did that, you know, as an academic, and I thought that was a more, like, civilized, proper way, but it was was very much fighting. Um, or... Bruce Perry talks about the biology of how, you know, blood pressure raises when we get, you know, frightened, and so people can freeze, right? So there's fight, flight, freeze, and, you know, there used to be the faint response. And he talks about that. It's like this is the body's science to protect itself. It just gets overwhelmed sometimes and cuts off whatever circulation the body needs and the person can faint. Um, so these are like real wired it's not a, a personality issue that we're we're wired to survive in these different ways. Um, so that's one thought, and that's you know, um, Gabor Mate talks about dissociation. You know, when we don't have a choice, when we can't get out of a situation, we can't fight, we can't run away. Um, we disconnect in some ways, and again, that's a matter of like self-protection. Um, and, and there's just this idea of either fight or flight. These are extreme reactions, right? Either I don't trust anybody or who is an authority or I'm going to trust everybody. I mean, the boundaries uh, can easily be kind of, um, underdeveloped, right? And, and we have to look at our way through, and that's a hard thing in dealing with, with other people. <laughs> so, I mean, I just all of you have brought up so much. Um, I wanted to say something to Amy, too. Um, You know, sometimes it is the best thing here in conflict to walk away, especially if the other person is trying to resolve the conflict. You know, I mean, you could kind of tell some people they just just want to fight. You know, they just want to have an argument. And and that's when I just walk away. You know, um, I do that, too. But um, I had a real hard time with a pretty figure or anybody that would try to say, 
getting any kind of constructive criticism, I always took as negative. And mm-hmm. uh, it took me a long time to get over that to be able to value what people were saying and either accept it or not accept it. I mean, sometimes people were just totally off. You know, yeah. you know, totally off and, and listen to my inner voices, what I call it, um, because I ignored that all my life. I, you know, squelched it at a, probably a younger age and I could even know. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I realized that, you know, I had this inner voice and inner spirit that was stifled. And and now I'm touchless. You know, I was that spiritual being I know within myself. And, you know, yeah. that's always love and care and, and can shine, you know, and can love others in a healthy way. And, uh, yeah. you know, I know we knew that existed. So it, it can be very transforming to, you know, um, is this person, uh, you know, does this writer feel wrong? And this person just, you know, you sometimes you just get into feeling about things. And if your gut tells you, you know, check into that with you. <laughs> with yourself, you know, is this something from mm-hmm. childhood or something that's happening right now that this person does not take from? You know, I used to just have people completely just like tell me anything and, you know, without, you know, and then I, they'd use that against me. And so I kind of was in this uh, day treatment program for mental health. And they said it's like a stairway on both sides and you go up one step and then the other person goes up one step and then you go up one more step, you know, so they're like very equally and you're supporting each other equally rather than a lot of my relationships were all one sided. I was all doing the big, mm. you know, being there for the other person and I was starving myself on the other side. You know. So I mean there's a lot of different, you know, things that you could look at that before I had, you know, gotten the recovery I didn't even, I didn't even question my <laughs> Way it is for people to way all the case, and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Um, I, if I may, just a couple of like things that strike me from what you were just saying. Um, sure. How important it is to to have this core where we know that we are good, right? and and so it's easy. You mentioned I think um, constructive criticism can feel like really negative and it, it doesn't have to be but and it may be that um, other people are projecting something negative onto us you know the projection ideas that something that we're not willing to see in ourselves we you know, put it on someone else so we see it or name it in someone else whether it's really accurate or not but um, so that's one part of it the projection but then the other is called projective identification where now that person has said that, you know, um, so terrible with something or whatever. Um, I don't have to identify with it, but that's when our boundaries are not solid, when our sense of self is competent or good, or, you know, all that is not really in place. We can take on uh, that projection and, and maybe who, is it uh, Annie that said, you know, just uh, allowing all kinds of stuff. Just, you know, I've already, I'm already the victim, so just, you know, that's how I'm going to be treated. We can, we can identify with that negative stuff that others are putting onto us. Um, so those are like no small things, and and that so much relates to 
how um, it's a dramatic thing that Bruce Perry talked about. He said, if a person in the first few months of life is like treated badly, neglected, um, and then they're put into a really healthy environment, they'll do worse than someone who in those first few months has been loved and you know taken care of and so on. And then after that, they're put into a bad environment. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's how powerful those formative months and, of course, years are that, yeah. um, that even if then we're in a different environment, we still have this imprint. Um, and even talks about how when we're overwhelmed, when there's some you know, high stress and some you know, abuse trauma, that our sense of time gets messed up. And, and so it's easy to have all those things from the past, those interpretations and reactions, coping mechanisms, become very present. And so again, it's just automatic, the way that our brains function. Um, yeah. It's not well, you a, know, a character when, when defect. When I was a baby, my mommy said to me, yeah, when you were a baby, well, me and my brothers, too, um, every time you cried, um, I just put a bottle of booze, you know, she put booze in a bottle and gave it to mm. us. So I think back on when it's like when I was hungry, when I was tired, when I was lonely, when I needed comfort, when I was left. So basically, I learned that my needs were not going to get mad. So I yeah. just expected them to never get mad, you know, when I didn't know how to meet mm-hmm. myself because obviously as a baby, you don't even know how to comfort yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense why I... I just never felt I was with my grandparents when I was old, but I just I never felt like I could feel love from anybody, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I hadn't been given that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And then sense. I was wondering if you could define boundaries, because when I first got to psych ward, they will be, you know, you need to set some uh, boundaries. And so I said, well, you need this, that, the other thing, and they go, no, those are walls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was wondering if you, because I really didn't understand what the heck a boundary was. I was wondering if you might be able to explain about what a boundary is and, and how you go about setting them to um, take care of yourself. Hmm. Well, I think the the first part is easier than the second part. I mean, can it, but it's important even understanding what they are. You know, the where where I and and another begins and. You know, those, you talk about walls, that's one kind, a rigid boundary. Um, and there are uh, kind of very loose boundaries, and, and so that can be interpersonally or, you know, just you know, think of people, and, and some people may think of it as, as a cultural thing, how people use time, you know, like schedules don't matter, just, you know, people late, people doing their own thing. That's a kind of a boundary. It's not real effective and sustainable for the long term. Um, but uh, I guess the ideal is that we have porous, porous boundaries so that, like our skin, I mean, it protects us, it keeps stuff in. But at the same time, you know, it, it takes in uh, things from the environment and, and it sweats stuff out. So it, it's there. It helps us to have an identity but it's it's not too closed, and it's totally not too open. Um, so that's, the, to me, the first part. You know, and there are all kinds of social boundaries, of course. You mentioned time, like, and so it, uh, 
especially in places like Switzerland, but, you know, things run on time. And, and if the person's late, they miss the train. And there's no question. Um, and then in other places, for whatever reason, it may be like the schedule is not really the way that the things work. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, but how do we have healthy boundaries? Um, you know, I think the, the most uh, sustainable and, and practical way um, is, is one, first acknowledging, you know, the, the things that are not working for us, you know. Um, and for us to take care of ourselves, to give ourselves the kind of healthy treatment um, and, and care, it, when I think of what got me into a place of having PTSD, having all kinds of reactions and feeling very dissociated, you know, I was uh, kind of abandoned and then abused and then wrapped with shame. And so I didn't know different. So I took on my own kind of abandonment and abuse of not taking care of myself not having good boundaries, and then always wrapped in shame. And so, you know, I know for me, what has been so helpful has been to be present. And that means setting aside time for myself. It means saying no, you know, little by little to things so that I could um, have um, better sleep or better you know, exercise or you know, take care of my body. And then instead of abandoning to be present, instead of being abusive, um, the experience of being taken care of, um, the experience of uh, in giving myself not in the self, self-ish like it's only for me, but uh, as a starting point to know what it's like to um, to be kinder. And then um, to acknowledge as the new normal. So that means I think a lot of learning is you've already said, um, you know, learning who's trustworthy and who's not, learning being able to say what's acceptable for us and what's not, um, because it takes away from I hope the sense of connection that we have to ourselves. I think you said um, something about being. A spiritual being? Did I mishear that? Yeah. yeah. I would. Once we have a sense of ourself as good and even sacred, um, there was somebody last time on the show who said, um, he was Sue, he said, you are sacred, you are unique, and you are equal. And that idea that we are sacred um, then we would want to go around things or go in a different direction that that uh, that, that would bring harm to that. Um, and that's certainly a process. And let's say one more example or analogy about learning you know, that we are sacred and treating ourselves with respect and having good boundaries 
Um, the story of the life in five days by Portia Nelson, it's an analogy of the sidewalk. Um, she says, basically, here's day one. I walk down the street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. Um, I didn't see it. It, it. it takes me a long time to get out. I'm furious. It's somebody else's fault. Day one. Okay, day two. I walk down the sidewalk. I know that the hole is there. I pretend it's not. I fall in. I'm still furious. It takes me a long time to get out. Day two. Day three. I walk down the same sidewalk. I know it's there. I try to walk around, but I fall in. I'm mad because I know it's there and I get out quickly. It's my fault. Day four. I walk down the same street. I walk around. And day five, I walk down a different street. Mm. So it's a process mm. to, to practice, you know, to learn a different behavior than to have walls as boundaries or have open boundaries so open that you know, we just accept whatever comes to us, even if it's really awful. Yeah, I've heard that story too, and I can switch it a little bit. Walking down the street, I find I find a hole, and and it takes me forever to get out. Knock down the the street, and I don't realize the hole's there, so I fall in it again. But somebody else helps me out, and the next time I walk down the street, and I hear somebody else yell help, and I help them out. Hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I know it's there, and I know maybe somebody else could fall in it, not know how to get out, because I did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this foundation, if you think of a, a pyramid, you know, that being safe is the very base of it, and with that safety allowing us to trust. Um, and that's why I was going back to we have to be present to ourselves to establish you know, what is safe, that we're safe with ourselves, and we know what's mm-hmm. safe. Um, well, I don't know. I didn't really know what's safe right away because it was so disconnected and dissociated that, mm-hmm. that I really didn't, didn't know was oblivious to everything, right. you know. And, and sports are starting to test my feelings because I had obviously... Well, you don't know, but I was a alcoholic and drug addict. And then I got sober, and I my sponsor, you know, I said, uh, I don't like this because now I'm starting to have feelings that I've never had before. I don't know how long ago they were, you know, pushed down or, you know, that I ever remember having those kinds of things. And they just get very overwhelming. And uh, she said, well, getting sober and drug-free is easy, easy. She says, living life in life's terms, that's the hard part. <laughs> Mm, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think if I'd have had fun that I had to choose a survivor of abuse well, um, that, that I would have been a that I say over, um, I have 30 years over. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh my God, I said, yeah, but all I have is this moment, you know. Um, matter of fact, when I put on, I didn't put on, I had 30 years Friday on the day I had this guy over, was, I, I Googled how many seconds that was. 
And I said, this is how many moments I have sober. It's because every moment I made a decision to not drink or use drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every moment when you get a decision, and every moment I try to make the decision to do the right thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, for myself. And in, in the program, we say, um, just do the next right thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got to stop and say, what is the next right thing? Or, or what's the best thing for my life right now? You know, mm-hmm. because I never had the time to pause and ask myself that or ask what I wanted or what was going to make me happy. Because when you're in crisis, you don't have time to do those kinds of questions. <laughs> you're just right. yeah, yeah. You're surviving, you know. And, uh, you know, a lot of people look at um, the program and they call it character defect. And, uh, mm. I was called coping mechanism because that's mm-hmm. how I survived what I did. You know, and, and then you just come to a point like you said, you realize this ain't working for me anymore. You know, yeah. and and I want to do something different. And like I want to learn how to cook, but I never could cook. So I tell people I can't cook. I can't cook. And most people just say, Oh yeah, well, a lot of people can't cook. Or well, I don't know cook. And they tell me I can bake. You know. And uh, anyway, one time I had a worker, and I told her, and she says, Well, have you, anybody ever taught you to cook? No, my grandma say, Yeah, kitchen grandma. Mm. She says, well, how do you expect yourself to know how to do something if nobody ever taught you? Mm-hmm. And I keep remembering that about stuff, you know. Nobody taught me how to do those things. And so instead of saying all teachers, she said, we like to learn. And that's a little different than all teachers. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I would, you know. And, and so she asked me what I want to learn to cook. So... You know, we can ask help um, and, and, you know, offer help, but but don't demand that a person take it. <laughs> or if somebody yeah. says, you know, ask, ask for help. And, you know, I, I one thing on Facebook sometimes, somebody asks for your advice to get set up, don't take it. And a lot of people say, yeah, I'm never going to advice again in this and that. And then I wrote back, you know, somebody else will give them a better answer. <laughs> or they had to come up with it themselves, you know. Um, it's just, you know, it's your opinion when you give somebody advice. And uh doesn't mean it's right for them. I try to respect that. Mm-hmm. But we also have some other callers on the line. Anyone on? Yes, Victoria, I was, I was going to ask you whether they wanted to share or just listen. Um, Did they, yeah, they, everybody so far said that they'd like to share. Um, but I have Okay, my great. Story. Uh-huh. Okay, great. I'm going to call on Ward. Uh, let me bleep oh, him in. Oh, thank you. Ward, you're welcome. Yes. Yes, you know, when you um, you talk about the neuro- neurobiology of the brain, um, what I got from that was the neural pathways operate on familiarity, so mm-hmm. we can change them because... Mm-hmm. If we're used to being depressed, we can change that to having gratitude and offsetting mm-hmm. the past going to depression all the time mm-hmm. and with just just manipulating ourselves actually you know and and that really that was what I really got out of uh, the neurobiology and it was just totally fascinating, totally fascinating and then when you think of um trust. I had really struggled with trust because for the longest time I was not able to 
emotionally regulate myself. Mm-hmm. So I, everything was shut down until everything blew up. You know, I would mm-hmm. have uh, visions and see things that weren't even there and perceive mm-hmm. stuff different from the way it was. And But as I got to a point where I realized that was the PTSD, mm-hmm. um, I got to where in between the stimulus and the response is a second mm-hmm. where you make a decision to do something. So you have that time period in there where you can make a change, even mm-hmm. if it's only to delay, delay a reaction. Mm-hmm. So that got me past that. And then when it came to boundaries, once I trusted myself because I was emotionally able to emotionally regulate, mm-hmm. I, I trusted myself. And so, my definition of boundary would be keeping things in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. While that, you know, I mean, that's only possible to a certain extent, but because we can't control other people, but we can mm-hmm. control how we are. And yeah. you know, I, for a long time, I couldn't couldn't control me. You know. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you, you're really hitting on all the points here. Um, for me, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for bringing up uh, neuroplasticity. You know, yeah. There's yes, yes. The the brain. You know, yeah. By focusing on gratitude, by having different practices, we the brain does rewire. Right? We're not always going to be in that same place of you know whether it's PTSD or just high alert. And and you brought up emotional regulation. Yeah, those are the terms. We we get dysregulated when we're in that fight flight kind of place, in that reaction place. Um, and, and earlier, was it uh, Victoria was, or Annie was saying um, about coping mechanisms rather than character defects. I mean, we, we cope in a reactive way, and by regulating ourselves, by staying connected, I mean, that's, some people say that's the opposite of addiction is connection. We're able to respond. You have that space yes. in between the stimulus and the response. We can, right. We, we don't react as much. And, yeah, thank you. All those, I well, think, I mean, um, I mean, we're still going to react, but yeah. we can react in a reasonable manner. You know, once we, once that becomes our predominant pathway, Mm-hmm. then it just becomes natural to react in a, a reasonable manner. You know, somebody might say mm-hmm. something to me that's incredibly insulting, but mm-hmm. that's because of them. That's not because mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you keep that focus, uh, it just makes it so much easier to emotionally regulate. I mean, I went to 15 years of therapy, several mm-hmm. suicide attempts, and mm-hmm. was heavily medicated until... A year ago, mm. and when I decided I wasn't going to take my medicine anymore, my therapist said, "Well, we can't treat you." So I kind of had to do that on my own, which I I'm not too pleased about that. You know, I would have liked to go mm. into my therapist still mm-hmm. and learn how to emotionally regulate without the medication. Yeah, and because I mean, all of the psychological medications I've ever taken, it just seemed like they numb me to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be numb. 
Uh, I mean, that's why I drank sometimes, to be numb. And it didn't get me anywhere. So, I mean, sure, I I might look like a bastard case sometimes. You know, I watch the news and I just start crying. Mm. And, hey, it's part of being real, okay? You know, it might seem extreme to a lot of people, but for me, it's normal and I accept it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a normal reaction to something that shouldn't be normal as we see all kinds of violence and abuse and power and harm to people. I mean, yeah, we have a normal reaction that can be overwhelming. And well, sure. I mean, can, you you take um, you, 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 people numb themselves, but you can't just numb what you don't, what you want to numb. But you're also mm-hmm. going to numb compassion mm. and uh, love and all a bunch of stuff, you know, because so, so then I didn't cry when I watched the news, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it, I was numb anyway, you know. Yeah. But um, it's just a matter of compassion, you know, how much, how important it is to have compassion, especially oh, yeah. for yourself, you know. Yes. Uh, and, and then that leads to trust. And that leads to being able to put up boundaries. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for doing the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, I really join with you in, in all these different things that you're pointing out. And, and you know, that that uh, idea of boundaries related to comfort zone, you know, it may be that uh, at first our comfort zone is to be kind of like in a cocoon because everything has been so painful. And but that's not the final place, right? And so those that comfort zone can expand, and and so our boundaries don't have to be kind of um, totally open, but they can expand as we get more confidence, if as we are more responsible, meaning able to respond rather than just kind of react. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of healing work to do, and uh, the the expression that came up for me when you were talking is um, I don't remember exactly what brought it up but it's we see a world not as it is but as we are well, I think it was in your saying where people were projecting onto you uh, they project on us that's that's what projections are it's like we there are things in us that cloud or, or you know have us see things in a certain way that aren't necessarily accurate um, and so there's so much I think there was a the importance of what you what you said. You know, we, we can take care of ourselves. We treat ourselves well. We're present to ourselves. We regulate ourselves, and that allows us then to see the world differently and to interact differently. Yeah, I mean, and and a, and a big part of it is being fluid. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, not rigid. Mm. It's okay if I have a bad day. Yeah. It's okay if I have a good day. And yeah. I can have a good day without guilt. And I can have yeah. a bad day without guilt. You know? Yeah. And, you know, that's just, I mean, how hard am I on myself? Not nearly as hard as I used to be. You know, it's yeah. just like, you know, I give myself a lot of latitude. I, I practice self-care and and there's a schedule for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like um, there's maybe some shared learning, you know, about the opposite of 
abandonment and being abused and wrapped in shame is to be present and to be good to ourselves and then, you know, honor that, acknowledge it, um, protect it, be be proud of ourselves, see how we've grown. Yeah, thank you. I like to that you mentioned. Uh, thank you. Uh, plan time, plan time to do it because for me, I have to kind of do that too because, uh, like in the morning, I wake up and I give myself, I listen to some um, meditation tapes and different things because, you know, if I don't plan on doing that every morning, that helps me get my day. But if I don't, um, you know, during the day to almost stop and you know stop myself and go, okay. You know, maybe I'm not feeling so good or whatever, but, you know, I need some self-care. You know, but before I had to really go, okay, at this time I have to stop and do some meditation or, you know, do something fun or whatever. I even have a list on my wall that things that I can do that are good for myself or that make me happy, you know. And and I would have to look at that because I was, like, clueless. (laughs) Mm. I just, I never knew how to do that. Um, yeah. I was told that I was selfish if I ever thought of myself first. I had to always think other people first, you know, and I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do anything for myself. And, you know, it was like a real, and when you're going through those changes in, in yourself, it's like, it feels so wrong. <laughs> it's mm. real sad within yourself. I mean, you know, part of one side saying, you know, this is wrong, and the other part saying, no, it's right. <laughs> you got this inner yeah. struggle going. Yeah, and it can be very confusing. And, yeah, and people that haven't gone through abuse don't don't get it, you know, and that's why I'm glad we've got NASCA because we have, you know, like I would say, you know, we need to look at our commonalities rather than our differences. That's why mm-hmm. we don't compare abuse here is because all abuse of children is wrong. You know, mm. and everybody's own reality. You can go, you know, you you can both get, you know, um, um, both go through incest, for instance. But but each person's experience is completely different, and they react from it. So mm-hmm. you know, respecting each other as well. Yeah, these are exactly the kind of um, points that that come up in that book. Um, what happened to you? The one with Oprah and Bruce Perry. He was saying um, the the definition that SAMHSA gives of trauma is that it's an event, so something happens, there's an experience that we have, and then there's the the effects. And so for some, the effect is going to be different, you know, from whatever situation. Um, Some may have kind of a short-term heightened kind of... um, alertness or acute stress, um, and then it can kind of resolve. And others have long-term impact. Um, and, and maybe for others who have had some healing work or resiliency work, um, you know, that same event is, is not going to be you know, so disruptive at all. Uh, that, that is the, the subjective Part of this, but I think um, all that comes from you know it relates to how how much experiences that if we haven't had them of being safe, of being cared for, have our needs met, um, and being able to um, learn through things that may seem like mistakes or 
haven't had that we we're in the process of rebuilding and that, that definitely is possible I mean it sounds like everybody on the call is a, a testament to that yeah I've been asking a lot of survivors lately what makes you feel safe and I I can't say how many people say I don't know mm. nothing has ever made me feel safe mm-hmm. yeah how would you react well, I mean, I think that uh, that makes sense. We may not we may not really have um, clarity, but I, I think mm-hmm. if we slow down, we know that there are times where we are safe. It may not we may not have the idea. We may not be used to recognizing it, um, but everybody has both. Everybody has privilege and everybody has trauma. Right? Everybody, I think, has times where we're um, safe and, and not so safe. And um, I think that's one of the difficulties when we are impacted by uh, abuse uh, and trauma. We may be in that kind of all-or-nothing thinking. You know, it's like all dangerous. Um, or we were saying somebody was saying before about boundaries. You know, it's like wall or all open. Um, but it's really both. I think that's a sign of growth, um, that we have more complexity and we have more ability to, to have both and. Yeah. Um, because I had a real black and white thinking too, you know, like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to trust somebody now. I haven't done that for a while. And then, you know, I might get, you know, somebody might not be very nice to me. I can't trust nobody now. Never can trust anybody again. You know, and it's that black and white, you know, they're all or nothing kind of stuff, you know. But I think I did a lot of that too with, you know, not realizing I had other options besides drinking and eating drugs. Mm. And I didn't think there was even another way to live. I walked into a hopeless, you know. Um, and, and I really had no hint. Matter of fact, when my, my sponsor saw me guzzling out of a bottle of Bacardi, um, asked me if I thought I was an alcoholic. I said, oh, yeah, I know I'm an alcoholic. And I said, but I'm one of those alcoholics who can't be helped. And she said, mm. oh, what kind of alcohol is that? So I told her 33 years before she passed away what kind of alcoholic that was. <laughs> mm. You know, because because I, you know, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about the stuff that had happened to me. And I heard she asked me to come to hear her speak. And, uh um, she said, I need somebody looking at the audience, and uh, she was paralyzing the waist down, so, you know, I I brought her around, dropped in different things, and anyway, so I put her, put her in the car and put her wheelchair, and we went over to the AA club, and uh, I get her, we get inside, and everybody's like, oh, hi, Kay, hi, Kay, how you doing, how you doing? I thought, oh, man, did I ever get duped? Mm. all these people, and I think she'd been in eight years sober. You know, she, mm-hmm. I said, how long you been home? She said, eight years. I said, holidays do? She's like, yeah, holidays do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, she spoke and stuff. I cried through the whole thing. I can't even tell you one thing. She said, I tell you the truth. But Bob gave me hope. And on the way home, I was like, all those people knew you. We've been speaking before. I know that. Um, you know, you told your story with her. And, you know, I was kind of like trying to figure out why. You know, she said she needed me in the audience, and she says, well, she says, the reason why I need me in the audience is because it was the first time I ever told my story about abuse and how I coped with my abuse by drinking 
And then I tell you what, that really, that really changed my feeling of being. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great example of how, you know, others can see things in us that we can't. You know, there's, Mark Twain says there's no way to tell why a man can't hear himself snore. Or there's a, a koan, a teaching that says it's as difficult for us to know ourselves as, as it is to look backwards without turning our head. You know, and mm. this idea of like, okay, well, if we had a mirror, we might be able to see that. And other people might be that kind of mirror. They can see things in us. Um, and when I did my, my uh, dissertation, I interviewed people who had come from very difficult backgrounds and they became like superintendents and like the first in their field. And many of them basically said, you know, a significant time was when somebody, uh, an authority, somebody who they trusted uh, said, why are you doing that? Like you have potential. And, and like maybe this person didn't even know what potential meant. So they had to look it up. And they realized yeah. that that person saw something in them or that kind of stuff that, you know, so my point is that we, we don't heal by ourselves. We, we right. need someone to walk with us who can see a little bit ahead, a little bit you know, differently than our narrow uh, thinking yeah. is. Yeah. So what well, I, I always say that she loved me before I could love myself. Mm. And, you know, and, and she was a great, she was a role model, you know. Mm-hmm. In which I never had my whole life. I never had anybody in my life to be a little not family members really were, you know. And uh, I just I never had anybody that I looked up to and, and wanted to be like them, you know. And mm. now, you know, I'll see uh, really respect. And I'll go, well, what qualities do they have that I'd like to, you know, acquire or you know, mm. to. And then I used to have a lot of regrets about stuff until I kind of thought about it and went, you know what? <clears throat> um, I only did what I did with what I had at the time, the information I had mm. at the time. And I was lied to, you know, I was I was um, told the wrong information and outright lied to and given bad information, you know. And, uh, um, you know, you can't, you know, just like people say, it's, you know, the computer, something's wrong with the computer. It's like, no, it's the operator, you know, but my mind was mm. operating on, you know, the wrong program pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. so now I try to put positive messages, but I think, uh, I think it was Ward that was talking about that, you know, just changing the messages yeah. to give ourselves to say, you know, we can react a certain different way than, than what we've always reacted. Um, yeah. Another thing that Ward brought up I really appreciate is this uh, idea of compassion for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. And and when he said something about, you know, having a bad day and being okay with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody has bad days. and uh, But, you know, to be able to just, you know, have somebody you can call or even just acknowledge to yourself, you know. Yeah, it's okay if I'm having a bad day. And I used to, I used to feel bad about having good days. I know you mentioned that, too. It's okay to have a good day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Almost like not deserving of having a good day, or like I said before, being happy or having, you know, things that make me happy. Yeah. It just, it's, it was all just like a concept that I didn't even comprehend. 
just like yeah. being sober. It's not a concept that could even comprehend. And I went to AA, and people were, you know, joking and having a good time. And I believe the men go, they're all liars. They've got to be high. <laughs> probably because no way they could be having that much fun and being sober. You know, there's no way. So, you know, I didn't even believe it at first. Until I yeah. started feeling it myself. Yeah, there's you know, a lot uh, that we get programmed. You mentioned, like, the operator of the computer, you know. We have these programs, and then we, you know, it's it's not a small thing to step back and to see where those came from and see that there's, you know, there's a different way. That's, I mean, that's brilliant. Um, I, I was always impressed, you know, one of the amazing things about the Dalai Lama is he, you know, grew up in this isolated monastery, and the books that he had um, to study science were old, old, old. And um, he had to figure out for himself um, about the universe. You know, like the books he had, I think, mm-hmm. may have been like, been like the Earth is Flat kind of book. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's not a small thing to change... Uh, a mindset or a way of understanding or believing that the world is or mm-hmm. how we are. Um, and he, in his case, it really was like his own brilliance. I think for most of us, we need someone else to uh, to see, oh, that could be different, you know? Yeah. And, and a, a, a crazy thing yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone very close to me and, you know, sometimes the the other person says things that don't quite follow the conversation or at least I don't know like where they're coming from. But the comment was, um, whatever we were talking about, the comment was like, so what's holding you back? And I, it just struck me. I thought, that's, that's brilliant. What is holding me back? You know, me, <laughs> my thinking. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I tell my granddaughter, I say, don't reach for the stars, reach beyond because you can see when you look up, there's much more things beyond the stars. Once you reach for the stars. And, well, and I think the real important thing for me is that meditation time because yeah. I believe that most people have the answers within themselves, but we yeah. don't give ourselves time to be with ourselves. And I think that's yeah. one thing that COVID brought about is people really spend a lot of time with themselves instead of racing around doing this and doing that. And, you know, um, kind of really looked at what was important to them, you know, what people in their lives were important. And, and also thought outside the box, for instance, NASCA used to just be peer support group. Um, they had, a, you know, fill out a peer support group as house. Well, NASCA, you know, couldn't meet during COVID, so Bill started mm-hmm. a Zoom meeting. So I want to mm-hmm. mention that, too. We have Zoom meetings three times a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Go on the mm-hmm. website and find that. And that would have never come about without COVID. The, you know, online doctors and all that sorts of stuff. And mm-hmm. people just getting on the Internet and finding out more about themselves and, you know, their mental health issues or whatever. But, you know, I did want to say that a lot of times we get these labels, you know, we could just be stuck with holding on to that label. You know, yeah. like with me, it was like, you know, I have complex PTSD and reading all about it and then all of a sudden just feel like you're trapped in it. You know, okay, mm-hmm. these are the symptoms, these are what's going on with me now. 
what's next, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have these things, you know, whatever it is, and, and what what tools can I lo- use or learn, you know, to change to change this and to make my life better. Yeah, yeah I think um, it's it's uh, a few people on the call have experienced PTSD and. Um, how debilitating that is. I that was my experience at one point. It was when I was a professor and the top of my game and then all the past trauma kinda of got surfaced and triggered and, and uh it was too much. Um I was doing you know, trying to help other people and be an activist and be a spokesperson and uh didn't take care of myself and um and so I now I could say, you know, wow, what what an amazing uh, challenge and gift to have grown and to have found some resources. Um, you know, I, I am a trainer for something called traumatic incident reduction, and I'm not a therapist, um, but it's you know I did a lot of different kinds of treatments and therapy um, that that only helped a little bit, and um, you know, so my point is that. Even in this, the the most painful times, it's possible to have growth, post-traumatic growth. Um, and there's a a storyteller, a writer named um, Michael Mead, who, who just talks about big changes in society and, and for us individually, and that when we're faced with a, you know, big difficulties, you mentioned COVID, that was a big social challenge, but for us individually. The two things that, that really become clear are we need to focus then um, on what's most important to us. And hopefully that leads us to our own physical, emotional, spiritual growth and survival. And then we we need other people. So whether it's these support groups, whether it's um, a sponsor, you know, whether it's just you know finding other ways that, that we can see ourselves in other people and the growth and possibilities. Yeah, we don't do this alone. So I'm really glad for this organization. Right. And then I also want to mention that um, we used to have a newsletter for Danska, and uh, that stopped, um, I think it was 2021, January 2021. Well, another fellow member, a family member of NASCA, um, and I are going to start doing the newsletter, and we're hoping to get one out in April. So if people want to be, um, be getting that newsletter, you can go on NASCA, which is org, and um, you can sign up for the newsletter. And uh, we're just going to start. We don't know how often we'll be able to do it because we have never done it before. <laughs> Not sure what kind of a thing we're taking on, but, you know, I think it's really important to stay connected. Um, mm. A lot of people have gotten used to not going and doing things, and um, I think we need to all stay connected. And so we are also looking for people that, you know, uh, like to be interviewed or look for professionals that love to write articles or, um, mm. you know, um, things like that, um, or poetry, whatever that we can put in there. We want to make it really... Um, Men are involved, not mm-hmm. just you know. Some people always always putting stuff in there. We want to mm-hmm. men to make a well-rounded uh, peer support. 
and there'll be a lot yeah. of information in there on the different programs. And I want to highlight something um, um, each time on the, what's on the website because I've blogged in NASCAR for over 10 years, and I hmm. still don't know all the stuff on the website. You know, and I've been I've been giving information to a lot of parents and say, hey, you know, because I got a business card in the Minnesota ambassador, so I get right. business and help parents. I say, you know, um, we've got a lot of stuff on, you know, keeping kids safe, you know, and go on there about, you know, protecting our children. And I've got a lot of parents that have come back to me and said how much they appreciate to give them that information because it's not just for adult survivors, child abuse, because we we do uh, prevention intervention. And, um, you know, we we do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. not just, you know, an awareness course. Um, so it's it's a lot more than people think. With people on the website, there's a whole bunch of different things you can click. And then, of course, you know, anybody that that wants to can call themselves a mass spam member um, because we are. And, you know... I didn't get to pick the family I was born into, but I get to pick my new family, and that's an ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm wondering if there's anybody else who wants to comment. I have a thought related to something that Ward was saying. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Ward, are you still there? Would you like to say something? Yeah. Um, you know, when you... When you said, uh, what makes me feel safe? I feel safe when I'm in the present. Mm. You know, I can walk down the street, even not a good street, mm-hmm. but I have a circle of safety around me when nobody's mm. attacking me. You know, I, I have that perception. I'm in that present spot. When I think about the past and I dwell in the past, I don't feel safe at all. You know, mm-hmm. and, it, and that's realistic. That's realistic. I wasn't safe. And yeah. so, but the the thing is, you know, with change, I couldn't change anything until I accepted where I was and actually mm-hmm. saw me and the stuff that I was rejecting. And by accepting it first, I was able to change it into something that I found acceptable. Mm. So when when you look at life and you start to realize that everything is fluid and changing all the time, mm. that that gives you a bunch of leeway to be maybe a victim, maybe a survivor, and maybe a thriver. And you can go back mm-hmm. and forth. And normally that's what happens. And mm. lately, you know, I'm I'm very very seldom a victim, but I haven't lost touch of what that is because that's a big part of me. And most of the time I'm thriving. Mm. And sometimes I go back into this mode where I'm a survivor and mm-hmm. maybe maybe somebody is out to get me. And mm. But then I go back to thriving and I'm like, you know, these people are looking at me and they they're not even giving me a thought. Mm. So, you know, it's just being able to be fluid. You know, change. Change is okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, 
appreciate you you described it as fluidity and I think of it as flexibility or I think of it really as integration, you know, an ability to uh to be present to things and um and kind of metabolize them, you know, just like we do to food. Um but there's it's not a small thing, this idea of being oh, no. uh, able to be kind of fluid. There's I wanna read this quote that um it's from Jack Canfield, and I think it's from a book. And I, I thought it was just a short essay or something. But anyway, this one quote reminds me of what you just said. In fact, talking about being present is right in there. He says, the two, true task of spiritual life is not found in faraway places or unusual states of consciousness. It is here in the present. It asks of us, a welcoming spirit to greet all that life presents to us with a wise, respectful, and kindly heart. We can bow to both beauty and suffering, to our entanglements and confusion, to our fears and to the injustices of the world. Honoring the truth in this way is the path to freedom. And, you know, to me, I think this is from a book called The Wise Heart. And you know, I think wisdom comes from the experiences of sometimes suffering. Um, that we hold on to it, and I appreciate you say sometimes I'm in that kind of victim place, and other times in a thriving place. But the, but we know that that gives us compassion. Um, and there's that archetype that I really um, value of of Chiron, the wounded healer. You know, the story that he was this god who was struck by a poison arrow and so he was eternally suffering and then at some point recognized that someone else was suffering. And and in reaching out and accompanying someone else and being of assistance gained deeper compassion and healing. And and so this the wise heart to me is comes from Holding all of it, you know, he said earlier, I think, um, you know, when you numb the, the pain, you also numb really the joy. I mean, it's to be able to face all of it and, um, you know, recognize what we recognize our own sovereignty. So we don't have to take on everything as a personal uh, part of us. You know. But uh, I, I just, from what I've heard, this just matched and, and I really appreciate that uh, that sounds like comes from a wise heart. Yeah. Thank you, Ward. Thank you. And uh, we... you know they 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 uh, the thing is, you know, you know, he, he mentioned truth, and that's the thing too. My truth includes the abuse. Hmm. And and the response, my the response to the abuse, and but it also includes a certain amount of recovery, and mm. part of that recovery was volunteering and trying to change mm. the world, you know, mm. and in ways that I wish it had been different for me, and mm-hmm. I wish it was different for so many other children. Um, uh, so, you know, that's all part of the truth. So it all sits on the table at the mm-hmm. same time. 
And mm-hmm. I, I don't have to focus on one particular area all the time. I can bounce back and forth, you know, whatever whatever is maintainable um, mm-hmm. to, to keep a certain amount of comfort. You know, I mean, sometimes I, I don't feel comfortable and I'm going to jump into gratitude and, and mm-hmm. um, compassion and and do things that like maybe go to the playground and watch the kids play and they're not being mm-hmm. abused and you know this is wonderful you know <laughs> oh that makes me feel so good when i see when i hear a kid laughing even my adult mm-hmm. children i hear them laughing i was really sick the <laughs> other day and i could see on our family meeting we have every sunday night on that messenger but i could hear them laughing and i knew they were putting up both faces and having a good time and I yelled at my roommate, tell the kids they just made me smile like you would not believe it, just to hear them laugh. They can just put a smile on my face. But I agree with Honey, that. I I like want... to... Yeah. I'm sorry, I was just going to say we do have another caller on the line. Albert is with us. And yeah, let please. me be pin in. Hello, Albert. Would... Oops, it's not in yet. Hi, Albert, would you like to share or to ask a question, make a comment? Um, yes, I actually would like to ask a question. My, my question is this. What caused you or enabled you to shift your perspective such that you used your adversity to aid others? At what point did you go from, I can't believe this happened to me, to I want to prevent this in others? And how did that impact your healing journey? And then the last part of the question is, um, how or where do you see yourself on that healing journey now? Because for the work that I do, I'm trying to prevent the situations that cause trauma sooner so that hopefully uh, people don't have to go through these ordeals and then use negative or toxic coping modalities. So whatever triggered it in you to, to use your experiences in a positive manner, I'm trying to see if we can help others do that sooner. Wow, thank you. Well, one, I think this is a real common um, response that um, a lot of people who experience all kinds of uh, difficult experiences growing up um, have, which is like uh, somehow this has got to make a difference. Like I, I need to make a difference somehow. This I don't want others to experience what I had. You know. Um, so, and I think there was a study. I can't find it anymore, but there was. It was. Uh, I think the University of Texas some time back. They looked at uh, people in the healthcare field, particularly nurses, and they kind of said, okay, if this is like the average amount of adverse childhood experiences, you know, that study came out in 98, basically saying there's a correlation between so many things that can happen to you and not causation, but correlation to self-destructive behaviors or physical health issues. And they said, okay, so if this is the average amount, let's take now... um, the population of, of people who are in the profession now, so they fast forward you know, however many years, and the people who are in those helping professions had way more of those, call it adverse childhood experiences. So my point is, is that, you know, that's a common response. I mean, I grew up with my mom telling me stories. You know, we grew up hungry, and, and she had a difficult life growing up and a terrible, you know, violent, um, abusive marriage, and and, uh, you know, there was in her this need to continue to, to help. And so she would, you know, load me up with stories that basically said, you know, we got to help people. So that was kind of built, baked in. Um, 
and and so I think that's not unusual at all. Um, I grew up, you know, so second generation uh, Mexican family, and poor neighborhood, a lot of violence. I mean, I had this idea that I was going to come back to the neighborhood to help, and so because that was somehow always baked in. Um, then that just I, I, there were, it took different expressions, so I think that's that's common. The turning point, though, when it became most real, because I, I was a helper and through education um, and, and doing decent things like that. But um, when I was at my worst, my, my most broken, you know, just weeping uh, with, with flashbacks and you know having no emotional stability, not being able to remember things. Um, it was at that point that um, when I, I was kind of at the bottom floor, like this is where my um, my spirit has been hurt. You know, it was through, not just through the racism, not just through the poverty, not just through the alcoholic home and the violence and danger and that kind of stuff. Um, but this is like, for me, it was clergy sexual abuse. Um, I think that's what gave me this direction um, to face trauma and to do my own work. And, and so um, I've mentioned you know, trying different things therapeutically that were helpful, but um, the TIR piece was so empowering. I mean, it was a combination of unlayering trauma and then this other integration piece. So I've always had a deep spiritual identity. Um, and those two together, I think, have, have just launched, you know, given me a, a direction, a trajectory of just integrating, as Ward was saying, you know, we're integrating all these past experiences. It's all part of us, but it doesn't have to be toxic. In fact, you know, just like we metabolize food, we get rid of, you know, what we don't excrete, we repeat. So it's like un, we're always kind of metabolizing and, and learning and letting go of stuff. I continue to do my own work regularly and, and ask others to, you know, I, I facilitate trauma sessions. I ask others, I'm about to contact somebody and say, hey, would you facilitate a session for me? Because um, I can't shake this, you know, thing that happened recently. Um, so I I, I think uh, it's not different from, it sounds like, what you've uh, described and, and what others have described is, you know, it's, it is in us to help others. Um, and I think these three basic questions, who are we, what do we want, and what's our purpose? You know, my response is that we're, we think we're spiritual, we think we're human beings having a spiritual experience. We're actually spiritual beings having human experience. That's a theologian named Teilhard de Chardin. I really, that makes sense to me. I am sovereign. I am a spiritual being. All these things that happen are also a part of my experience, but they're not my core. And then what do I want? I want to be healthy. I want to be happy, really. And I've done some things to try to do that, to fulfill that in the past. Um, and and now I'm doing things that are fulfilling that in a more connecting way, in uh, a more regulating way, as uh, word said. And what's my purpose? I think our shared purpose is, sure, to help others. That we realize, um, when we realize that we really are connected that's when we're at our best so yeah i don't know if that's exactly a good response for you but uh i mean i just don't think i'm that unique 
Um, and no, I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I just I say, I mean, I, I would think that um, that is our, our shared um, work, you know, yeah. uh, not just for us individually, but, you know, going forward. Yeah, when I, I when I have some of my sponsors, sponsors call me and they say they're really down and bummed out or whatever, I go, call somebody. I say, but don't tell them what's going on with you. Ask them if, you know, they want to talk or how they're doing. It says, because you do not know that if you call them how much that might make them so good. And then it it will make you better, you know. Just, um, a lot of times it does, you know. I'll start feeling really bad or depressed, you know, if I can't find nothing to be grateful for because I know we're mentioning that. Um, but, but really I tell people to find something to be grateful for. Even if, you know, a lot of times you have to lose a card for it, you know. And and some of my spots, you I ain't got to be grateful for it. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the first day. <laughs> three things. Three things every day. The first day, I give you the first three. Food, shelter, and clothing. I said, because there's a lot of people that don't have that. There's been many days I didn't have that. You know? Oh, I guess I do have that, you know? And, and okay, well, tomorrow you got the whole day to figure out everything, you know? Yeah, the trees are growing outside. Isn't that a miracle? Or, you know, boy, that was real nice that squirrel came by and, you know, <laughs> made me smile, whatever. You know, it could be the simplest thing that, that we just realized. And I would even tell my roommate the other day, I says, um, I says um, boy, I tell you what, I'm really grateful that, that those bills came in for the electric and the gas and the water and paying them and stuff. And he said, what? And I says, yeah, I'm grateful that we have water, we have gas, and that we have heat, and that we have, you know, a stove to cook on, <laughs> and these things, you know. Um, and, and that makes me happy. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful I have the money to pay my bills these days, because there were times where I didn't even have money to afford housing, and I was homeless. But I listened to this lady named Jess Shepard, called Rising and Higher Meditation. And she said a whole bunch of meditation, and some are ones you can listen to all night. And it talks about reprogramming. And she said, um, you know, just listen to these words of, and let them be your own because, um, you know, some things like you hear, um, you know, you, you are a wonderful human being or you're a spiritual being or whatever, and automatically all this negative stuff comes up. No, I'm not. No, I'm not for this reason, that reason, everything else. And to just, you know, accept it and uh, accept the good stuff in your life and that you are a good person with a kind heart, as we say in our support groups. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I was just really well, appreciate all the comments. Well, if anybody else has any final thing they'd like to say before we... To close the night, and we want to welcome everybody back, of course. Um, and if anybody wants to be a, a guest and uh, tell their story or um, come on as a panel member, we'd really appreciate it. So, um, would you like to share anything more before we help? I'm, I'm wondering if everybody who's online, if they're interested just to share, you know, a final thought. Uh, I certainly have one, but I'll like others to, to chime in. I'll chime in. This is Annie, 
And one of the, th- the thoughts I wrote down was boundaries. And I just wanted to share that I didn't even know what boundaries were, and I certainly didn't have any, until I started to go to a 12-step program. And that's where I learned about them. So if anybody out there doesn't know what they are, um, it's important. It's really important mm. to have boundaries. So I, I mm. suggest maybe trying a program. And that's all. I passed. How Thank about uh, Ward? Would you do you have a last a last idea? Well, I think taking ownership is a big part of it. So mm. we have to take ownership of our thoughts the way we think about ourselves. You know, I used to think I wasn't a good person. Well, I was looking at all my responses that weren't very nice, you know, and Mm. so, but now I respond in a different way, so it's easier for me to see myself as a good person. Plus, my self-talk, when I look at my self-talk, I listen to my self-talk, and then I know what it is, and I can make it into a good thing. Mm. As a result, I'm a better person. Mm. Thank, Thank you. you. You know what? We only have 60 seconds left, so I'm going to say thank you to everyone who was here tonight, Albert and Jaime and Ward and Victoria and even myself. I, I hope that those people listening got something from our show. I know I did. I took six pages of notes. And um, the show goes on five nights a week at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And it comes from NASCA, the National Association of Sur- Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Their website is nasca.org, and it has a whole lot of information on it. This has been Radio Show 3139. Yes, we've done 3,000 radio shows, and it will be archived under that number. Thank you, and good night. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Thank you.